following is a Tony Lozano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Welcome. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and this is the uh, first episode of the Car Guys Report here on the uh, Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And, you know, Lou, we've been talking about doing this for quite a while, and uh, here we are. Welcome and glad to have you here. Excited to be doing it with you. This has been something that Lou and I, as I mentioned, have been uh, kind of ruminating on for several months and uh, wanted to definitely thank uh, Tony Lasano and uh, Radio Misfits Podcast Network for giving us the opportunity to be here with you today. I would also like to uh, thank Rick Kempfer of Minutia Men, another Radio Misfits podcast, for helping to get us hooked up with uh, Tony. Big thank you to him. And also I wanted to thank uh, Ron. Galnick, who is working on our uh, logo for our podcast. So big thank you to all those guys. You know, it's the middle of winter, Lou. Uh, as car guys, you and I, uh, kind of our off-season, uh, I think first we should uh, say who we are, maybe why we're here. Uh, I've been a guy in radio for a really long time, and I've also been a lifelong car aficionado. And uh, this is the chance for uh, me and us to kind of uh, live a dream of talking about cars and being kind of a freewheeling, organic open-ended kind of discussion and I know that obviously you're a car guy and you've also got uh, something happening when you use a video camera so why don't you tell us a little bit about that well people would know me visually from my car story with Lou the YouTube channel and we have over 1300 cars on the channel over 50,000 subscribers to the channel and I basically want to leave a legacy of these great cars so that people understand why we're so passionate about them and why don't you just say exactly what you do? I basically, I see you at a car show and you're chasing people with your video recorder, trying to get them to tell you about their car. And some are hiding behind a bush and others are saying, hey, come on over and talk to me. Exactly. When I go to a car show, what happens is I look for, number one, the, the car that I think that I like. And that can be anything from uh, any year. I just love all the cars, especially when they're original and even if they're well modified all of the time that people put into these cars and all the passion that they have for them and that's what i create and then show that visually because who knows the cars better than the caretakers themselves whether it's at a museum or whether it's somebody that's been in their family their whole time or somebody's passed away and handed it on to them and they have all the documentation so that's the fun part about this i think one of the best things about what you do is it's not just the car it's the owner and the story behind the owner and the car because to me there's always a story and that's one thing that i notice a lot at uh, car shows is when you're sitting by your car and people are checking it out and they go like hey so what's the deal with this or how, how long have you owned this and that's like well let me tell you. And exactly. you just go into the whole history of how you got the car, how you found the car, why you like it. And that's, I think, what you do on, on your channel. So it's exciting. And uh, you and I have known each other now for about two years. Mm -hmm. And you've done several of my cars on your channel. So yep. I know exactly what you do. Yeah. And um, it's a lot of fun. So uh, I think that helps uh, explain you know, what we're doing and why we're here. And getting back to the fact that here we are in the middle of winter, it's the mid-off season uh, that I like to say between car shows. Car shows uh, usually wrap up middle, end of October and start again early March. So I should actually be spending more time working on my cars over the winter, you know, uh, at least detailing them, getting them cleaned up and everything. And I just don't seem to have the time sometimes to do that. So I feel bad. But um, I'm looking forward, obviously, to the weather getting better and everything. And one thing that I do always enjoy, and I think as car guys, we do this is when we're driving around, uh, whether it's running to the store, buying gas, going out for coffee, whatever, we're always looking to see what cars that we just happen to come across in our daily activities. And in the winter, it's harder to do that because you're not going to see a bunch of classics going to a car show or a bunch of resto mods around. But in the last couple of weeks, I've seen actually four fairly interesting cars. Um, I have seen a, a 68 Mustang, and it was being driven on a nicer day. It was a nice burgundy red metallic with baby moon hubcaps. Um, I saw a on, on a trailer uh, being flatbedded somewhere, I saw a late model Impala in basically the color of your windscreen on, on the uh, mic there. 
a, a kind of a bright green with the big 26 inch rims on it so it looks like a, a hot wheels going, going down the road but it was on a trailer and then i saw a a, a nice looking 62 ish uh cadillac convertible being uh, towed on a trailer and i'm thinking you know you kind of start thinking wow i wonder what they're gonna be doing with that uh, is it a off to be restored, or is it just being transferred to another garage? Uh, and then just yesterday, uh, parked in a uh, uh, car repair uh, parking lot, I saw a, a Datsun Fairlady Roadster. And those have always been kind of a neat little car. It was kind of uh, Datsun's uh, attempt to compete with like the MG, and as obviously before the the two, uh, the Z car came out. So it was kind of their, their first entree into uh, having a Roadster uh, sports car here in the U.S. So that's what I've seen on the roads. Have you seen anything exciting that uh, you can uh, tell us about? Well, Tony, um, my job, uh, Mark, is to educate not only uh, Tony our producer because he's not a car guy so by the end of the podcast we'll make sure that he's a car guy involved in that but i want to educate you as well as i'm going to convert you slowly into being an all-year car guy not just a Midwest car guy. So to answer your question, what happens to me in the winter is... You go to Arizona. I go to Arizona. <laughs> I'll go to California. I'll go to Texas. I'll go to Florida. Wherever there's cars at during those seasons. And then I, like a snowbird, kind of come back up to wherever the cars are. So yesterday... Um, I just take that back. I was at the World of Wheels show, and uh, it was in Milwaukee, and I got the chance to uh, video 11 vehicles there. I can't video everybody's car, but uh, one of the reasons when I go into a car show is the first thing I do is the person has to be standing by their car, because if I don't have the person standing there, then I can't get the story. The other thing I like to do, uh, which helps, and I'm going to talk about those cars that you asked about in a second, is I like to have what I call more than a car show. I'm kind of a caraholic, and that means that I want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to know all the details and probably too many details. So I think it's always important, though, too, that and you do this on on your on your videos is the fact that you always want to have the uh, at least have an engine sound, if not go for a short drive, because right. it's one thing just to look right. at a car. That's always been one of my favorite things at a car show is to hang out either at the entrance or exit. And you get to hear and see the cars actually in motion. You get to hear them. Yeah. And to me, that's like, you know, you're not always going to have an opportunity to hear a Ferrari V12 or a Lamborghini, you know, Countach or something like that. Or a Model like T. Or, or, yeah, exactly, yeah. anything. And that, that really adds a lot of excitement and, uh, you know, realism and things like that to, to what you're doing. Well, sure, sure. The, the best part is, is um, these cars today, uh, and one of the things is for people who don't have an understanding of cars, I hope that they listen into us so they get this passion thing because the people who have these cars spend so much time not only in them, but on them. Um, so I'm going to answer your question that you asked earlier. Some of the cars that I've seen that are going to be featured on the YouTube channel, if you go to My Car Story with Lou, you could see these. Um, one of them was, uh, I, it's obviously called My Car Story. But the gentleman, after I did his car, he owned a body shop, and he fabricated a car that's front end was smashed in. It was a 2006 Mustang, and all of a sudden, he turned it into what he thought Carol Shelby would like as a Shelby Mustang. And uh, first of all, I love the blue color that he had on this, and he put... I will call it extra flares and support and things like that. And more importantly, then he said, Lou, I've got this other truck you have to see. I said, well, you know, it is my car story, so it's going to be hard for me to convince you. Eventually, you're going to run out of cars. No, I don't think I ever will. No, that that won't happen. My wife asked me that. She says, Lou, are you ever going to run out of cars? I said, no. There's always new ones being made. But with Ford and GM ending sedan production and going to trucks, that's what's going to force you to go to my truck story eventually. So, Well, Lamborghini's SUV caught my attention. But uh, the the point I want to make is, so he showed me his truck, and I actually had, I, I convinced myself that I needed to do this truck. It was a 53 Ford F100, but the amazing thing about it is it has a 1,000 horsepower. Wow. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, whenever you see a vehicle that you do exactly what you just did, which is wow, that's the kind of car that I go after. So when I see a wow car, and sometimes a wow car, I'll give you another one that I did as I'm walking through the show. This guy had a 72 Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. 
And he put his heart and soul into that thing. He ended up uh, dating this young lady, which eventually became his wife. And this car became emotionally attached to him. And he didn't want to get rid of it because it reminded him of his dates with his wife. So he took he got the glass from Europe. He couldn't find wow. it here. He had to go over to Europe to find the glass for his Carmen Ghia. And then he put it all the way back to what would be considered original. So when cool. you, so everything from a uh, Volkswagen Carmen Ghia, which probably is not on a lot of collectors' lists. I think it's a great car. We had one when I was a kid. I think it was a 61. Yeah. It was a really light baby blue, and it had a really light kind of gray interior. And the coolest thing I remember about that car is it had a chrome megaphone exhaust on it. <laughs> and it was just the coolest car. And my dad drove that for about five years. And uh, obviously, you can see where I, I got some of my car car passion. Because yeah. uh, anybody's father who drives a Carmen Ghia with a megaphone exhaust is pretty cool. So <laughs> Yeah, not too bad. Well, for example, you're going to one extreme where you have a 1,000 horsepower, and this Volkswagen Carmen Ghia in stock format, I don't know, probably has like 40. 70, yeah, 70 or yeah. something like that. So, so it can be all over the board, and that's that's the thing I think that, that bond car people together is they really just appreciate each other, and there's no, you know, I've got this, I've got this. It's more we all just, uh, when you really get down to it, we all appreciate the cars, and we move forward from there. Some other cars that I saw that were interesting, um, up there was uh, uh, they had a Superbird. Uh, Superbirds to me are, are a real Superbird. Yes, yeah, <laughs> real Superbird or real Daytonas. And I say that because even back in the the early seventies, when these cars were technically on the road, you didn't see them on the road sure. then. Yeah. So when you see one, that's always fun. And so it's a you know pointy nose and then a big wing on the back. I think that's one of those cars though that there's more out there now than were originally manufactured <laughs> because people have recreated them. And that's when you know this could be a topic for another show at some point is, you know, when you're looking at a car like that, you have to make sure you're getting the real thing because, yeah. I mean, judges, GTOs, I mean, we, the list goes on. I mean, the Ferrari right. convertibles, and there's more of a lot of those cars now than were originally manufactured because people are making them. So, you know, that's a great point because you have cars that are, um, I call them thousand point cars where people love the meticulousness of it and the chase. And what I mean by the chase is, one gentleman in particular, he had a, a Shelby Mustang. I want to say it was a 67 on the channel, black convertible. And he took 29 years to find all the original parts wow. and showed it at the Muscle Car and Corvette National. And again, I go back to what you just said. Wow. The, the stories are wow stories from some of these people. And then there's stories that you don't expect. And I'll use one of those as one of my favorite stories is um, a gentleman called me up, one of my clients. And uh, from my information technology business, and he said, uh, Lou, I think I got a story for you. And I'm thinking, this is a guy who's probably not a car guy. You know, I'm not sure he's really got a story. And he says, well, it's a 65 Chevelle, and I think you'd like the story behind this one. I'm, I'm said, well, go ahead. Tell me the story. Well, it was completely just a frame, and there was no body and no electronics and no seats. And I'm thinking, okay, great. You know, so I'm not sure there's really a story. It's a car that's modified. And then he says, and the owner's blind. And I said, blind, like needs a dog or blind, like he can't see very well. He's like, no, he's, he has, he needs a dog. He can't see at all. And I said, what? So I went to go see him. His, he has three uh, teenage children. His name's uh, Mike and Mike was wonderful. But uh, what was even more amazing, now this is not about the car, but just about the stories. So I meet his wife and I'm looking at her like I'm looking at you guys here in the studio and I'm looking eye to eye and I shake her hand and I walk away and I meet his children. And I've, I haven't ever felt like I needed to adopt children, but after meeting his children, I felt like I needed to adopt all three of them. But then I felt like I'd probably feel bad that I took his kids and he <laughs> needs them. But, but they were the most unbelievable kids and I gave them rides in my car and they're really appreciative. But the other amazing story, so I get to Mike and Mike says to me, uh, we're obviously looking at his car. And he says to me, he says, you know, I'll do anything for a good looking girl. <laughs> I said, no, I said, first of all, Mike, I said, you don't know she's a good looking girl, but she's a good looking girl. He goes, well, you know, my wife is blind too. I said, what? He said, I said, I was just looking at her, Mike. What are you talking about? He goes, yeah, she was, uh, uh, you know, kind of left for dead in her country, and she was brought over by a military person. I met her at church, and we ended up married. I'm like, holy cow. You know, so the stories sometimes can be more amazing almost than the cars. So how does he show his car? Does he have the dog drive it? or? Uh... No, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, first of all, I've offered to drive his car. He hasn't taken me up on that yet, but his kids bring him to the show. Okay. And then it's funny because he knows so 
many people at the show, so he's not uncomfortable at the show. And, uh, you know, I mean, he needs a cane, and, and he he had some diabetes, so he used to be able to, to, to see. And he's literally taken a wrench to this entire car and put it all together. And the funny parts of it is he talks, when he's talking about the car, I'm looking at the car in the sun, and he says, you know, Lou, the metal flake in this paint. And I had to do a double take. I'm like, metal flake in the paint? I didn't even know there was metal flake. And I'm looking down like two inches from the car, and I'm like, holy cow, holy cow there's metal flake in this paint. So, you know, those are the, the kind of things. And, uh, you know, he's talking about his good-looking wife and the metal flake in the paint, and I have to double-check it. So um, just the amazingness of the people and the level of creativity that they can have when designing a car or the way they come up with it, whether it's a high-end designer like Chip Foose or it's the guy in his backyard um, you know, I saw a guy with his car yesterday, and he was telling me how him and his son built it. Uh, that that 2006, uh, uh, I'll call it a Shelby Mustang. It was a Mustang GT. He's with the smashed front end, and he turned it into a GT 500 KR. I was going to ask you uh, what how that car compares to the new Shelby that uh, is coming out. Well, it's funny you say that. Uh, the uh, uh, the 2020. Uh, new Shelby that's coming out, the GT500. That was a yeah. GT500KR that he put in, KR being king of the road. Uh, I actually have an interview with Gary Patterson, who is the president of Shelby American, talking about that car. And and uh, on top of that, I have uh, uh, Jim over at uh, Ford. Um, I'm not recalling his, his last name, and he'll, he'll forgive me later because I'll see him at other shows, but he's in charge of uh, the Shelby division at Ford. So they were talking about the new Shelby GT500. And it doesn't actually have a stick, which some people weren't liking on the channel. They were like, it should have a stick. Hardly any cars do anymore. Yeah, and paddle problem. shifters and things like that, kind <laughs> of a dual clutch thing. But um, the, uh, the, the point with that is that uh, it was fun to have the guys who love the car, build the car, create the car, talk about the car. And, and you know, it's supposed to be the, the, you know, one of the baddest Mustangs. But, of course, the next year it'll be the baddest Mustang, and the next year it'll be the baddest Mustang. But, you know, it's a great, it's a great, I personally, I thought it was a great looking car. That's neat. Yeah, it's, it's, it is great when you, when you get the people that are uh, willing to invest, uh, you know, the time and the money and the, and the uh, vision and have it uh, come to fruition, whether it uh, takes six months or six years or 29 years. And in the case of the gentleman that you were talking Talking about, uh, I did go to an interesting uh, event last uh, uh, last week. Uh, it was a uh, SCCA uh, kind of a year-end uh, beginning of the year thank you party for a lot of the workers. Uh, I haven't done an SCCA event for many years. I used to do a lot of their uh, touring rallies, uh, time, speed, and distance. Ex- explain touring what rallies. SCCA is. Uh, Sports Car Club of America. There we go. Yeah, and I've um, got Tony here. He needs yeah. to know all the acronyms. <laughs> I'm going to get him all all carred up by the end of the. And it, was, it was at a brand new uh, Ferrari dealership, and, and I was there with a couple of uh, people that I had met at a car show. They invited me along, and we counted the number of Ferraris there, mm. and there was 123 Ferraris. Wow. And it was the most I've ever seen outside of a Naples Cars and Coffee. I mean, it was just unbelievable seeing that many Ferraris under one roof. And there was also a couple other uh, nice cars there. There was a Porsche 918 Spider, a GT3 RS, and a, a Konaseg. So wow. <laughs> you're looking at some pretty high-end uh, merchandise yeah. at, this, at this thing. But it was really neat. And some of the Ferraris, too, were were uh, factory cars, but then they looked, they were basically prepped for racing uh, via the... Um, via the uh, factory uh, with uh, carbon fiber wings and uh, it just really really neat uh, to see cars like that in um, in person up close stuff that you just don't necessarily see all the time and uh, you also mentioned you touched about one person I think if you want a body shop I think you're kind of required to be a, a car guy because you enjoy working on cars uh, the only project I really have going on right now for the uh, winter is um, as you know because you have tape taped this car before. I have a 1975 uh, Firebird Formula 400, and uh, that is currently in the body shop over the winter getting what I like to call sympathetic paint work done because the car's all original and it's got that that nice original 45 year old patina on it but uh basically the lower parts of the car are getting uh redone so it'll be uh a car that's going to be a lot of fun when i get it back and i'm going to also do some chassis mods so it's not anything close to a resto mod but it's just taking care of a couple of deficiencies of a 45 year old f-body 
GM car, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's a neat car, and uh, obviously you'll you'll be seeing it hopefully this summer when it's done. Yeah. You can marvel in that. Um, just wanted to make sure that you know that you are listening to the Car Guys Report here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And uh, be sure to tell a friend about the Car Guys Report. It is available online. All you have to do is go to radiomisfits.com. You can also uh, follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter. And you can also send us an email at carguysreport at hotmail.com. One thing that uh, I wanted to touch on, uh, Lou, and, and this is something that we had talked about briefly, is uh, there's so many things online, car-wise, these days, you almost can't keep up with it. And a lot of the, uh, even on YouTube, a lot of the channels are devoted to just bad stuff that happens to cars. And I don't like seeing death and destruction in regards to cars being crashed or burnt or things like that, because it just breaks your heart when you see something like that happening. But I think... The thing that that caught me on this one was the Dodge Demon was a car that was uh, recently introduced, and it, Chrysler was basically selling the car as a drag strip ready production car that would turn a 9.65 quarter mile. It's got 770 pound feet of torque, 840 horsepower stock from the factory so people are obviously drag racing these cars and there was a video uh recently that was online and this is what really caught my eyes the video was crystal clear and it was in slow motion and it was of two different dodge demons uh at the starting line of a of a drag and their rear differentials basically just exploded and fell apart and you could see that you could actually see in slow motion the differential letting go, the car would just totally shudder, and then you would see literally parts from the differential falling onto the ground. Wow. It was heartbreaking because yeah. that's an eighty thousand, eighty-five thousand dollar car, and apparently it's gone all the way to the top of FCA, uh, Fiat Chrysler of America, because they want to obviously nip this thing in the bud if it's yeah. a manufacturing defect or whatever. There was also a picture of what the differential looked like once it was removed from the car, and the whole case was just cracked open. Yeah, and it was just, but just. If you want to try to find that, you can just Google Dodge Demon Differential Exploding, and you'll definitely see the video. But it was just very graphic, basically. And it's just, I had never seen something that was that close up and in slow motion and of that quality. And that's what really kind of caught my eye on that. And uh, here we are on a Saturday morning. It's raining outside. And something that Porsche is introducing um, on the new uh, 2020 Carrera, I think it's like the eighth generation of that car. And this kind of surprised me a little bit because Porsches obviously are owned by people that are drivers. They want to be engaged in, in the driving experience. They like the performance. They like the looks, but they like the performance and the handling. And as we go on in the automotive world these days, there's more and more electronic nannies, as I like to, to describe them. Uh, lane departure warning, automatic cruise control, you know, the, the very, uh, various uh, differentials of self-driving that people are coming out with. And Porsche is introducing what they call a wet mode. And this is kind of interesting from the standpoint that, A, I'm kind of wondering why Porsche would even decide to do something like this, because would the driver of a Porsche really want their car to be electronically controlled in wet conditions versus, hey, I can handle this on my own? And basically what it is, it's an anti-hydroplaning feature, and obviously as, as... most people know hydroplaning or aquaplaning is when water gets water on the surface of the road builds up enough between the road and the tires where you can lose grip and lose directional stability uh, and directional control of the car and honestly i haven't really heard about any real hydroplaning incidents for years because tire technology has advanced to a great degree and i think that's the biggest part of of preventing hydroplaning and then you've got so many other existing electronic things in your car like stability program and traction control and and things like that um, that would help reduce that but Porsche apparently feels the need to uh, introduce this and partly because being a 911 the car's rear engine so it's got more weight in the rear so technically the front end could get a little light especially in, in rain and 
it wasn't real clear because there wasn't a lot of information on it, but it sounds like it has to do with the, uh, the all-wheel drive models because what it does is it actually has miniature microphone sensors that are inside the, the wheel wells, and it picks up the intensity of the, of the water and the rain on the road, mm. and it all depends on your speed and things like that. And what it actually tells you is it tells you that wet mode is ready to go, and if you want to engage it, you can engage it. So at least they're giving you the option of saying, yes, I want this, or no, I don't want this. But the other thing that I found uh, really fascinating is uh, it was produced by Porsche Advanced, uh, Porsche's Advanced Department I'm Engineering. Gonna, I'm going to slow you down just a second. So the people who are in the Porsche Club, yeah, they all know you're Porsche, from the, Porsche. I have two, they, I they have know two Porsches. I, I, I know you're, they all know you're from the Midwest now with, with that accent. But uh, yeah, the, the Porsche Club, go ahead. Porsche, Porsche. Uh, I always call it Porsche, whatever. Porsche <laughs> Advanced Development the, they're Department. They're very passionate about their cars. So am I. So, <laughs> but it says it was this wet mode was based on a concept that was developed as fully functional in the middle of the 1990s. Really? And they're bringing it out 20 plus years later, which is amazing because back in the 90s, sure, there was starting to get the, the, the beginnings of traction control and electronic management to have that some, have a device like that ready to go 20, 25 years ago, and now they're deciding to bring it out. I just found that kind of fascinating because obviously Porsche is, um, <laughs> you know, an engineering leader in the car world. So um, well, that's something that we'll bear watching to see if anyone, you know, actually determines that it works or not. I'm sure we'll run into people at a car show this summer that have that car and they'll have that feature and we can ask them about it. So. Well, you, you can look at, you know, how far technology's come, right? I mean, your first car, when you think of technology, is probably James Bond and Goldfinger where they're pulling out the bombs and shooting them out the front end, which, by the way, is really cool. So I'm all in favor of not blowing up cars. But when you're blowing up the bad guy, it seems like the right thing to do. And then the second thing is when you think about, like, you go back to 66 and all of a sudden the Batmobile, they come down the bat cave and you're looking at that and you're going what in the world so i mean that you know you think about gee they had a phone in their car back in 66 you know of course it was the red phone and commissioner gordon would call um you know i still want on my own personal car i want the rockets that shoot straight out the back and you know that that hasn't happened for me yet but the phone's in the car and you know you could talk to your car it has the bat computer in it and of course your cars have computers now so i think a lot of that technology is is you know, has been there. It's just Americans as well as the rest of the country, especially the, you know, the Europeans were, you know, and the, and the, you know, the technology of the, the German cars and the Asian cars and the Italian cars are so beautiful. You know, it's just all fascinating, each one of them. And they're all, you know, kind of collaborating together in this thing called automobiles and cars. And yet each one of them has their little fingerprint on it. It's just really cool. Well, it's something like, uh, you know, the Prius has more computing power than, you know, the first space shuttle mission or something like that. And I mean, there, you've got cars these days that have, you know, 20, 30, 40 computers in them controlling literally every single aspect of the vehicle. I yeah. mean, stuff that you wouldn't even think about. Like, you know, it's got a computer for, you know, obviously body modules have been around and that, that controls uh, many aspects of the car, like the power windows and the parts of the ignition and parts of the seats. But it's just unbelievable when you really get down to it, how many microprocessors there are in cars. I, I want to add to a tip right there. So my heater in my uh, vehicle was uh, basically overheating me. I was in the oven and it just wouldn't stop. So I was panicked because, I mean, it was actually summertime. So the car must have been 90 degrees inside the car. I took it to the mechanic and he said, uh, um, his name's Lalo. I said, Lalo, what are we going to do with my car? He says, here, bring it here, Lou. So he undoes the battery. And he says, wait 10 minutes. He reboots it. And I said, why are we waiting 10 minutes for my battery? And he puts it back on. The car was yeah. fine. <laughs> so to your point, it was just like rebooting my, yeah. rebooting my computer. Yeah, my, I had a, a 1992 uh, Saab 9000. And it's a little had, tip for the viewer or listeners that are paying attention here. A 1992 Saab 9000 that had uh, a very rudimentary uh, version of traction control. And this is in 92. And every now and then, I would just get this traction control warning light. And all I would have to do is just pull off to the side of the road, turn the car off. I didn't have to, to uh, disconnect any batteries and just wait a few seconds and turn it back on. You just reboot it and you'd be good to go. Um, 
But kind of along, I had mentioned Prius uh, just uh, a little bit ago, and even though Prius is a hybrid, which is not a full electric, uh, we're seeing more and more full EV vehicles, electric vehicles, the likes of Tesla, Chevy's got the Bolt, Nissan's got the Leaf, um, Hyundai just uh, introduced an electric version of the Kona. And one thing that I always wanted to know more about, and it's finally coming out since there's more and more of those cars on the road, especially since we live in a, a cold climate, is what exactly is the performance of a full electric vehicle like when it gets cold? And we're talking, you know, well below 32 degrees, which is freezing, you know, 20, 10, 5, 0. And recent reports uh, from Consumer Reports and a couple of other uh, outlets have said that uh, EV battery performance in cold weather can be as much as 50% less than a full charge in, in, in warm weather, which is amazing because that's you something you, about that. you would really have to think about that because if you get in your car and you're, you're expecting to drive into work and you've only got 50% of your, your, your battery capacity mm-hmm. because of the cold weather, and that's just something that I don't know, you know, they keep talking about new battery technology technology being on the horizon and you know better faster chargers and things like that basically said they said the the way to try to work around that is to just keep your car plugged in as much as possible to, to keep your batteries charged mm-hmm. but it's just really something that again shows the limitations of full electric vehicles in certain situations until they have something um, sorted out. And, I, and, and this is something that kind of just popped into my head when I was thinking about that. And they might already have something like this somewhere, but as EV vehicles start to get more uh, popular in the next 10 to 20 years, do you think at some point they might actually have, instead of a tow truck coming out to, to get you if you run out of juice, they'll have what would be a mobile charging station would be a truck and it would have some kind of battery pack and generator on it where they, literally they would they would pull pull up to you they'd have to have all the different proper connections and they would plug you in and probably give you a quick charge for like 20 minutes enough to get you you know back home so you can plug in and something to think about i just thought that that could be obviously honestly a kind of a unique thing yeah, well, um, you know, we talked about this before. Some of the cars that are some of the hyper cars. I mean, you have the Porsche 918 that's half electric, half, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So, so you you have other cars that are that are adapting these concepts, as well as the fact of, uh, you know, just you know, pure electric, so to speak. So. Um, yeah, no, I think you, you you might be onto something there, and of course we've got you know governmental regulations that may you know say that enough with coal fuels and things like this, and you have to move in that direction. So well, I know that Porsche is working on Porsche is working on their it's like 800 volt charging in the electric vehicle they have yet to introduce, which is supposedly on the horizon, and that's supposed to be able to give you something like an 85% charge in like 15 minutes or something like that. It's just going to get it's, better over It's going to be yeah. interesting, um, and inductive charging is something that I've always been interested in, too, where you don't even have to plug in. You just pull in onto your pad in your garage, and, and your batteries inductively charge, and yeah. it's, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, and, and I want to mention, electric cars are not new. Electric cars are actually... Uh, you know, they seem new to people today, but I mean, you had electric cars back in the 1900s. Yep, Detroit I mean, uh, electrics, yep. 1910s, and and actually, women liked to drive those cars back then because they were quiet, they weren't greasy. You didn't have to. This is before, obviously, the introduction of the electric starter. You didn't have to crank them by hand, yeah. and, and it was something that I that appealed to the women uh, as drivers. But uh, I obviously limited greatly by battery technology back then, and, and yeah. charging and range and things right. like that. All, a lot of the the issues that we're talking about today were still extant back then and, and vice versa. But yeah. it is interesting that you're right. Uh, and that's one thing that that uh, we will talk about on future shows is the fact that uh, a lot of the technology uh, or features that we take for granted or think are new and great these days have actually been around for 40, 50, 60 years and maybe were introduced on an off-brand that never really went anywhere, but mm-hmm. that technology has been there and it's been able to be yeah. uh, perfected as uh, things went on. 
If you like the uh, Car Guys Report, that's what we are right here, Informed Automotive, then be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits podcast network, like Minutia Men by day. Rick Kemper and Dave Stern are the publishers, and by night they are unappreciated fathers and husbands, and in their spare time they are consumers of worthless information. Each week they share their newest worthless information in the podcast Minutia Men, only on the Radio Misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radio misfits.com another thing i wanted to touch upon briefly uh lou and this is something that i like to uh waste time on (laughs) on the internet being a car guy is just i'm always curious to see what's for sale and uh hemmings.com is one of the uh places i like to go to because they just have an amazing array of used cars for sale uh and not only just a domestic but an international audience and a lot of them are are being auctioned off by high-end uh auction uh houses like bonhams and the some of the really high-end european places and uh, that's one place i like to go to bring a trailer is another uh site that uh caters mainly to European import cars. They do have a a smattering of muscle cars and and domestic vehicles on there. That's an auction site, but some very cool stuff on there. And then just other outlets, uh, one of them being, since I uh, own an Aston Martin, I'm on a... uh, uh, emailing from Nicholas Mee and Company, which is a uh, longtime Aston Martin dealer in the UK, and they just get some really cool uh, stuff on the used market. Uh, last year, they had Robert Plant's Aston Martin that he owned in the early 70s, oh, really? and they had this picture of him, just a black and white picture. He's wearing like a rock and roll T-shirt, and he's just standing in front of the car. And I just thought, you know, I wonder if there's like the lyrics to "Stairway to Heaven" on a crumpled napkin <laughs> under the front seat or something like that but that's the kind of stuff they get and one car they got recently is a um a, a 1998 um aston martin no, ni- excuse me 1986 um aston martin v8 zagato and zagato is a uh, one of these italian companies that rebodies cars in special editions and it makes the price quadruple probably over over yeah, the let, standard let stuff. Let me add on the Zagato piece. So so uh, Zagato has run now. I think it's third generation, and not a lot of people. It seems like no too too much about no too much about them here in the states. But a Zagato car would be similar to a Mustang Shelby. You know, Carroll Shelby's a real guy, and then you know they 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 body the car and you know based on his racing history and things like that. And Zagato's family goes back, and they're, the funny thing about Zagato is they like the number nine. So sometimes their cars are limited to nine units, 99 units. They're never listed to, you know, 9,000 units. It's limited production. They're known for their double bubble, which is their where they put their helmets on underneath, the, and you can see the double bubble on the car. And they're a upgraded version. And they'll, they'll coordinate. Uh, I actually uh, had an uh, interview with Andrea on the channel, uh, who's the uh, current CEO, uh, when I had met him out in Arizona. So we talked for a few minutes there. And he just talked about what it's like to, you know, leave that legacy. But the short story is, is uh, the cars are uh, almost like a Shelby Mustang looks like a, a buffed up regular Mustang, a more macho regular Mustang. The same thing with these cars. So he'll coordinate with Ferrari and Aston Martin, um, uh, Fiat. And, yeah, back in the day, they did yeah. a lot with uh, the Italian makes. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you see those at a car show, and especially the double bubble roof like you're talking about, yeah. it's pretty cool. And I've seen um, the Aston one of the Aston Martin Zagatos, and I think they'll make, uh, you said the number nine. I, I know they've, seven, seven seems to be a number two that they like. Cause I'm I think not they sure made, about I seven, thought they only made 77 uh, Aston maybe. Martin Zagatos in, in whatever year it was. Okay. And the funny thing is, I mean, they look, they look very, very cool, but they don't look to the, to the average person, they probably don't look all that different. You got to really kind of pick out the, and like the taillight treatment was different, the roof obviously, but then the rest of it, you're wondering, why am I paying four times the price for this? And it's, I guess, total exclusivity, although Aston Martin isn't a high-production volume <laughs> car maker anyway. Yeah. You're talking maybe 2,000 2, units a year, 3,000 units a year, uh, and then you, you're, you're slicing that down to 77. But right. um, You'll see the Z on the, on the front fender, yeah. and that's, that's usually an indication. Um, that'll be, you'll, your eyebrows will go together saying, what's that Z doing there? And all of a sudden you'll take a deeper look. And again, this is the bonus of, 
you know, a lot of people don't know about a Zagato, and all of a sudden the owner will start telling you about it, and you go, oh, you know, you have that light bulb moment. I have those light bulb moments on every almost every car I video, it seems like. The uh, Zagato I was just mentioning, in 1986, it's for sale at Nicholas Me right now. And the interesting thing about this is in 1998, it was bought by uh, Rowan Atkinson, who uh, pretty much people in the U.S. know as Mr. Bean. And he's okay. actually uh, a, quite an accomplished uh, race car driver. Really? And I don't know if he dresses up as Mr. Bean when he's behind the wheel, but... Um, he uh, actually uh, raced this car. It was uh, prepared by Aston Martin Works, and it was uh, campaigned uh, in 2013 at the national level, as they say, by Rowan Atkinson. And it's the only V8 Vantage Segato to have been prepped and supported by Aston Martin Works. So it's wow. a pretty cool car. It's Gladiator Red with a black interior, 5.3 liter V8. And uh, if you have $581,000, Lou... It can be yours. Let's go. Let's go overseas. <laughs> let's pick that up right now. Another thing. Oh, honey, <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> Another thing I like to do, and this is recently from Bring a Trailer, is whenever we either we follow an auction online or we watch. Uh, Barrett-Jackson, or, or we go to a Mecham auction, we like to see cars that we consider to be well-bought, uh, either um, sometimes well-sold. If you did well on a, as a seller and you got a good price for your car, that could be called well-sold. But well-bought means that the person buying the car pretty much got a good deal on it. And one uh, car that recently uh, closed on Bring a Trailer, it really kind of caught my eye because I've actually considered this model before. It's a uh, 1995 Ferrari 456 GT. Now, that's the uh, two-door GT model, front mm -hmm. engine, rear drive. And it's not exactly the prettiest Ferrari, and I think that's one thing that holds it back. Um, but it is a proper GT car. It's got a V12. This one had a six-speed manual. Mm -hmm. It was... Uh, um, 41,000 miles. Uh, some of the people were dissing the color. It was like a burgundy red, uh, what they call Rosso Manza, over black leather. Now, I don't think that's a bad color for no. that car. It's classy. But this thing sold for 51,000, which is pretty good for that car, especially since it's a six-speed. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find a V12 six-speed outside of an Aston Martin like I have for anything less than $51,000. Yeah. And the nice thing about that V12 Ferrari, if I'm not mistaken, is it has timing chains, so you don't have to do the belt out, engine out, belt out maintenance every 15,000 miles like you do with the, uh, with the other Ferraris. So um, that's, you know, something to, to look at if you're looking for affordable GT cars. And I've kind of always been a GT, Grand Touring type person. Um, the golden age of Grand Touring is maybe coming back a little bit because we've got the uh, Bentley Continental GT third edition, third generation coming out shortly. Uh, I was even reading, touch, touching once again on Porsche, someone was saying that they thought that the 911 was slowly moving into more of a GT car instead of just a kind of a sports car. And I thought that was a little bit of a stretch because the rear seats really are worthless. Um, but Again, though, in any GT car that I've seen uh, or owned, the rear seats are worthless, even if they're bigger right. than the ones in the Porsche. So you don't really know, um, you know what's happening there. But uh, we touched on a little bit of what might be coming up on My Car Story. Do you have any, like, one or two cars you might want to tell us briefly about that uh, people can check out on the channel? Yeah, the, the cars that are coming up, I've got a um, 65, 19, uh, 65 Lamborghini coming up, and that one has an interesting story because Lamborghini started building cars in 64, and you see 64s and 65 looking identical to each other because it took about two years to build those cars. So when you see one, you've kind of seen the other. And um, the fun story to that was I was out in Arizona, and I was at uh, uh, the Rock and Roll McDonald's out there. And uh, my buddy who has this car, I said, well, let's get together. I want to see your car. He says, well, you know, where do you want to meet? I said, let's go to the car show. So it was great to see a 65 Concours level Lamborghini sitting next to a 2013 Camaro and a 2017 Challenger. And there's that one in the middle. So um and just the different reactions. So that'll be coming up on the channel. That's a fun, fun car. And I was fortunate enough, he, uh, he said, Lou, uh, let's go get some food. Do you want to drive it? And I said, yeah, you know what? Not everybody offers their 65 Lamborghini to me to drive. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take a crack at this one. So as I'm driving the car, I happen to mention to him, I see he's got his pen out. 
and he's writing down notes while I'm driving. And I said, what, what are you taking dictation here while I'm driving? He said, are, are you are you critiquing my drive? He says, no, I'm I'm figuring out what's wrong with the car. I just got it back. I haven't driven it too many times. I said, you're letting me drive it and you haven't driven it. He's like, well, he can blame you for the yeah. If it falls uh, off the gun. road and a, and, a, and a wheel comes off, I guess it's my fault. But uh, we had a great time and. In that car, of course, and I didn't do anything silly with it because it's not my car, so I just drove it at, you know, normal speeds and uh, was happy to get it and kept it parked away from everybody to make sure that guys like that allow me to drive their cars again. But uh, that's going to be coming up. There's also a, uh, uh, at that same show, I'll just share a different car that, that caught my attention. I was not going to video this this vehicle. I was convinced because I looked at it and said, that's just too silly. And... Um, Sure enough, it got dark out, and this vehicle has a LED strip around the entire vehicle. It was a 1942 Willys Jeep that this person who built it took seven months to build, and he made it identical dimensions, but it was like, I think, one and a half times its normal size. So his head of a normal-sized person was equivalent to the top of the roof of the hood. And then it had this monster windshield that, that went over it that he has to put down so he could see over it to drive. And uh, still wasn't going to video it, saying, okay, no, it's goofy, I'm not going to video it. And then he started to drive away. And when he drove away, everybody in that parking lot, and there must have been almost a 1,000 people in the parking lot, all took their cell phones out to video. And I said, okay. And I chased him down. Thankfully, he didn't run me over. So that one's called Big Willie. So if you get want to see something that's completely goes into the creative, you know, why he wanted to do it. It was funny to me that not only did he want to do it and make it so accurate to the original, but then the fact of why did you want to put these LED lights around it? Like, don't you think everybody's going to see it without that? <laughs> so, you know, this is the level of car people is that they're just so passionate and, and they want to do something unique. And uh, he was with his girlfriend. She does a great job in the video saying that, you know, the car's famous and I can understand why. So, and then I trailed him a little bit at the end of the video just to get people's reactions of what they thought of. So it's the only time I've ever videoed somebody and said, hey, I'm going to video your boyfriend's Big Willie on the channel. And it probably <laughs> will be the last time I say that. But this is the kind of thing that when you're going around, uh, you'll always see something new. And, and caretakers are always educating me on every single car. So uh, I'm not a car expert, but but I continue to learn more. And, and I think that's the thing that's passionate about these people. Mark, I want to talk about your cars for just a second. One of the things I really enjoy wanting to do this production with you is, number one, not only are you a true professional on the mic, so it's it's easy to be with you, but secondly, I loved your passion of the cars because you're, you're – Everywhere you're, you've got a Bentley, you've got an an, uh, an Aston, you've got a uh, um, uh, Alpha, you've got a Saab, you've got an American Muscle, you know. So you tend to like everything, and that's why I think that, you know, this is a perfect thing to share with other people who are really going to enjoy cars, or maybe not enjoy cars, but learn to like cars as they get to learn. So yeah, I've, it's a lot of fun. I've I'm pretty much. I mean, I'll say this at the out, outset. I've I've always been mainly an import guy. But, I mean, I own a 58 Apollo. I got the 75 Firebird. Um, I've spent uh, years and years. One of my uh, best friends from high school has been into a 58 Buicks forever. So mm -hmm. that's where I kind of cut my teeth on a lot of the uh, American classics. Yeah. And um, I can totally appreciate and understand and uh, enjoy the whole world of, of automotive yeah. and I uh, love vehicles. The, I love the muscle, and I love the exotics, and, and I, I love the, the cars from the 50s, but I can appreciate all the brass era cars and things like that. So this should be a fun show for a lot of people to listen into, and, and if they like cars, they'll, they'll find a nice home here. And remember that you can listen, subscribe, and rate the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Just search for Radio Misfits. You can also uh, send us an email at carguysreport at hotmail.com. Coming up on uh, the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, next time we will be talking about, and no, this is not a uh, mispronunciation or a misprint, a 1972. Two Porsche 911 Cayenne, which is very interesting. Mm. Cars that have massive value depreciation. That's something that a lot of car guys talk about, getting supercars for pennies on the dollar. Is it a good buy or is it a nightmare wallet-draining experience waiting to happen? We'll uh, touch on that uh, topic. And, of course, just more cool car 
stuff to talk about here on the Car Guys Report. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Luke Costable. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in to the first episode of our podcast. Special thanks to Chief Engineer Chris Swake, Executive Producer Tony Lasano with Opi Productions, and it's distributed by Ed Silha of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? If you missed Losano or Losano and friends, here's what you missed. Hi, Fred Winston here, Chicago radio guy. Now, Fred, <laughs> Tony, you were the first voice on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, yeah, that was my big uh, cinematic moment. It is a beautiful day in Chicago today. Temperatures expected to reach the upper 70s. Right now, 75 at the lakefront, 74 at Midway, 73 at O'Hare. And now, up in the sky, Don Nelson. Yeah, pretty goddamn riveting, wasn't it? I got got John Hughes in the studio, and uh, we're in a commercial break. He says, uh, could you imagine your voice coming out of the theater speakers in the theater? I said, "Uh, yeah, what does it pay? (laughs) Mercenary. So I go in the studio, and I'm recording stuff, and I'm uh, doing uh, buffo DJ crap. And uh, clever ad libs, and uh, you know, well, blah, blah 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 blah, and they didn't want that. They wanted the uh, right. the straight crap. Right. <laughs> so he invited me to go with him to the premiere. Uh huh. And I said, well, I can't do that yeah. because I get up at three thirty in the morning. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to give up my sleep. I don't give right. a crap if it is a movie. <laughs> so he fixed my ass. I got paid, but I got no movie credit. Yeah. Oh really? Uh, no credit? Really? No, no uh, credit in the movie. Every one. Got a credit pick set. <laughs> Me. Unbelievable. And you're the first voice. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Yeah. Do you do you get checks in the mail still for like 16 cents for that? Or no, no. No. Really? It was a we... one-time flat fee wow. of 337 dollars and 65 cents. Oh man, that, yeah, I'm swimming that, in it. Yeah. <laughs> Radio Misfits. Get more. Lozano and friends. Lozano. Now on Lausano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called. That's nice. I bet that's pretty goddamn compelling, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Lausano and Friends. Available on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, Apple iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio app, and on Lausano.com. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we'll talk about the vision of a Dutch artist who has created retro versions of modern designs. It's retro in reverse, plus the quandary of buying used supercars for pennies on the dollar. Are they too much fun for little money or a potential wallet-draining ownership experience? I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, and OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Worst national anthem ever. Is that a an alligator in your yoga pants or are you just happy to see me? Speaking of gators, gator mating. Every cub ever takes you into Josh Riley, 1896. Rick's brush at the 1984 Democratic primaries. And we talk to rock star Buckingham's lead singer Carl Giamarisi. All that and unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. The Tony Lasano Podcast and Opie Production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. RadioMisfits.com